boy, I, I feel like I've seen some scarier stuff on YouTube. Who knows how many times you may have missed the freaking ghost in your house because you weren't paying attention. Yeah. They're out there struggling, scraping to get by, eating the damn saltines. Mom's got a fucking gold mine sitting in the living room. Welcome back for another episode of Rummed Up Reviews. Very exciting uh, part of our Rummed Up Reviews summer series. Uh, we've got a couple of firsts going on right now in this episode. Uh, first, the type of movie that we're going to do, uh, we've never done in its true form uh, before on an episode. But we'll dive into that in just a second. Before I get too far ahead of myself, I want to introduce... Uh, first time ever guest on the show. Um, well, Russell, I'll just let you talk about yourself. Like I can say a lot, but I'll let you introduce yourself to the audience. So yeah, sounds good. Uh, sounds good. Yeah. So like John said, my name is Russell. Uh, he and I met at Drake, um, another uh, fraternity brother alongside both Jack and Polina. Um, and within the fraternity system, we have these <laughs> Greek families. Um, John was my Greek father, uh, sort of like a, a big in a way. So that was sort of uh, kind of a start to our relationship. We were also in student senate together, which I think is what kind of got us to get close with one another. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm living out here in Johnston, Iowa, just north of Des Moines, um, working within finance for a uh, company based out in the Netherlands and was recently married. So. Uh, I won't draw too much about those unnecessary <laughs> characteristics, but this is my connection to John. He's a, a longtime good friend from college, and we keep in touch and at least see each other about once or twice a year. No, absolutely, man. I'm glad you brought up the uh, the Greek dad, Greek son thing. Uh, definitely a dynamic at play here. Um, ironically, though, you clearly don't remember the first time we ever met. Uh, the first place that we ever met I'll give you a, I'll give you a second here to think on it. Okay. It was not Rush. It was yeah. not Student Senate. Really? It was, however, Tim Nepper's Philosophy of Religion course. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. Was that the same semester that the topic was about ineffability and mysticism? Yes, it yeah. was. Yeah. Yes, it was. So that was the first place we ever met. Uh, and then you ended up going through Rush, and mm -hmm. I ended up actually deciding to run for Student Senate. And that was, yeah, kind of the perfect storm for how we met and became friends. And uh, despite uh, years of getting to see me at my best and my worst, somehow you're still around. So sucker Jane to coming on to the show uh, and going to exploit that relationship. No, I'm co totally kidding here. Capitalist. <laughs> Uh, well, <laughs> I really am glad you're on the show, though, Russell. And then, like I said, one of the other reasons I'm really glad is you're the first person I've co-hosted the show with uh, that is willing to dip their toe in a meaningful way into this genre. Yeah. Uh, and, and for anybody that knows me and knows the show, you know that this is like a personal favorite genre for me. So Yeah, and for everyone who knows me, they'll know it's the exact opposite for me. So, uh <laughs> Much like some of the other co-hosts, uh, horror is not my 
favorite, although I'll say I've gained a much deeper appreciation for the genre over the past few years, in part because of my wife, because she loves horror films. So um, I didn't really get much of a choice because <laughs> since she loves them, I was gonna have to get into it at some point or not. And after a while, I just kind of got into them. I mean, I'm still I'm still the person who will hold a pillow as like a shield whenever that whenever I anticipate something scary is about to happen, but I break through it. So um, and because of that, I've actually come to enjoy a good many horror films, um, especially the one that we're going to talk about today. You know, I'm really glad to hear that, man. Um, I, I love that story because it's what I try to convince people all the time who don't watch horror uh, to give it a shot. And because yeah. I've said this for years, I think I've said it on an episode uh, of Rummed Up Reviews before, Man, there really is something for everybody in the horror genre because the mm -hmm. horror genre is the, in my opinion, pinnacle of uh, artistic expression. Mm -hmm. In that you can go and create the stupidest, dumbest idea with the worst effects on the face of the planet. Yeah. And there's going to be a group of folks out there that are going to go, no, I fucking love that movie about a tire. Like, you oh know what I'm God. saying? Yes, no, no. Okay, I know what you're referring to. I've seen Tire. It is yes. an absurd movie, but it's great at the same time. It's great because it's absurd. Exactly. Um, right there's there's actually point. another film in that, in that category I want to explore with you one day. I think I mentioned already uh, in one of our past discussions, Willy's Wonderland. Um, you have mentioned this. Uh, yes. Starring one of our uh, already discussed actor, uh, Nicolas Cage, the legend, the myth, the man. Oh, so God. I think it's, um, it's that also is a straight up absurd movie. It's classified as a horror. Nothing scary about it, if you ask me, but it is a ride. And oh, I, yeah. <laughs> but we won't, that's not the today's episode. <laughs> different episode, uh, different episode. <laughs> No, man, I think uh, I think that's exactly my point, though, is horror really does have a little bit of something for everybody. Uh, if you can just push past kind of the uh, personification of what the genre is all about. Yeah. yeah. But tonight we are diving into a real live true blue horror film. We're dying into one diving, not dying. God, I hope we're not dying. Um, we're not. But we are diving into one that's uh, a little bit near and dear to my heart. Mm -hmm. Um and the conjuring 2 yeah let's just throw it out there the conjuring 2 well, one of we can't quite start yet we, we haven't talked about what we're drinking john this oh my show and you're you starting to forget man i'm so, i'm slipping up i'm slipping up you know okay, what can i say here. Here. The, the, the old sailor's getting a, a a little bit more fluid memory line in there yeah. so what he's referring to is yeah russell what are, what are we having to drink tonight I'll, I'll go ahead and kick it off since i forgot up till this point um tonight i am enjoying and yes that's a blue ninja turtle cup um nice. i'm enjoying a little bit of pirate rum actually it's one of the most interesting rums i've ever had okay. it's p-y-r-a-t um if you pop the cork and immediately take a drink of it it's not going to be great. It's going to kind of taste like a cheap vodka. I'm not going to lie to you. Oh, no. Um, but if you let it breathe a little bit, all of a sudden it gets a lot more of a, a nice, smooth, a little bit of those fruity flavors start coming out. Suddenly you got a pretty nice drink. It goes well on the rocks, goes well uh, in a mixed drink because, you know, it's pretty much everything goes well in a mixed drink at some There's point. Or is it straight? So, 
what I'm drinking tonight is uh, is a mix with some Coca-Cola. So there you go. What about you? What are you having to drink tonight? Uh, nothing too fancy, man. Um, we were fortunate enough that we had some people leave bottles of booze at our wedding. So one of them was uh, Captain Morgan. So I don't see the point in buying rum if I have, you know, a little bit, some free rum here. So I'm just doing your typical Captain Morgan with some uh, Coke Zero. Um, yeah. Also not a big rum drinker, but I disagree with some of our good friends and former co-hosts who refuse to stick with the title of the podcast. It's Rummed Up Reviews, Jack. Put down your gin. Put down your gin. <laughs> I'm a huge whiskey guy, and I got a, a whiskey decanter of Woodford Reserve bourbon right now, and I'm still Oof. sticking with rum, which is that. That's, that's love a, and commitment, John. That's, that's love it. And commitment that, to that's because you respect not only me, but the institution of this show. There you go. Yeah, that's what, um, it's all about respect. <laughs> you know, M- Mr. Davidson, tear down your gin. Um, anyway, we're going to move right along into The Conjuring 2 now. <laughs> so The Conjuring 2, for anyone that doesn't know, is the sequel to the monstrous success that was The Conjuring. Uh, James Wan solidifying himself as a genius uh, when it comes to specifically um, haunting and spiritual and demonic horror. Uh, A lot of folks would say a genius in horror overall. Uh, I'm one of them. I love and adore James Wan. So I'm going to throw that out there with his his career, but. Um, oh. I, feel like some, I feel like some of the other movies in the, I don't know if you want to call it the Conjuring series or like the Warren series. The Conjuring verse. Um, the, con, the, the Warren Conjuring uh, universe. I feel like some of the ones that didn't hold up as well were ones that he didn't do. But the ones that did really well were the ones I felt like he directed. So the only ones that he has directed are the mainline Conjuring movies. So Conjuring 1, Conjuring 2, and Conjuring 3. Um, he has been an executive producer on a number of other um, number of other of the Conjuring verse films, the the place that I first fell in love with James Wan, ironically though, also in horror, uh, but he is one of two of the masterminds behind the original Saw. Um, oh. He and Lee Winnell, and so James Wan has always been a, a very special uh, director for me. Uh, as I saw was probably the second major franchise that I got really into when I first got into horror. I see. So it's funny you mentioned that because uh, Mitch was actually over the night. He had mentioned James Wan being involved in the first few Saw movies. And because whenever I think Saw, like I don't watch those because I think it's just a bunch of gore porn. I don't want, I don't want that. I still want to see a bunch of gory mess, but he, he actually defended to say, no, the first one that James Wan did, they're not that gory. It wasn't until much later that they started to get really, really big into that and they yeah. no longer was directing them. And I was like, okay, well then maybe one day I'll dip my toes in, in the Saw series. But uh, uh, he did mention that, you know, I, that he did, he was part of the Saw series in the beginning. So, you um, know, it's a whole conversation for another episode, but I'll yeah. say this. Uh, we'll get you into it. We'll check it <laughs> out because let me tell you, so far I agree with a lot of what's being said. Uh, but we're not talking about Saul. We're talking about The Conjuring 2 here. Um, we're going to have a lot of tangents up here today. Man, there's a, lot, there's a lot to talk about with this movie. So starring um, my crush in Hollywood, and I don't know why, Vera Famiga. Um, I mean, she's gorgeous. God, I love that woman. She's very um, 
I've never I've never seen her in a role that I, I have not just like sympathized with her character. Uh, mm-hmm. Even in the Godzilla King of Monsters movie where she's playing a pretty wretched character. I was like, no, but I just, there's something about her. And I think it's genuinely like, there's just, uh, she she has a very specific like style um, and she exudes a, a confidence um, that I, I can really appreciate. So uh, also, also, Ed, oh, is, is that Patrick? Patrick Wilson. Wilson. I was uh, I was he. I was about to say him. I love that man as well. Uh, which boy, you know, we got the whole. Uh, we got. We can talk more about it later, but we got the whole uh, hilarity of the fact that Patrick Wilson is in James Wan's Conjuring series. Uh, but before this, Patrick Wilson was in James Wan's Insidious series. Um, so. Yeah. A little bit of a fun connection, Hollywood connection there. Uh, and at one point, you know, certainly I think some folks started getting really confused um, as to which movies were which, <laughs> in, in all honesty. So um, so those are, are your two. That's Ed and Lorraine Warren. They're the two yeah. folks that probably most people would know, everyone else. Um, yeah. I, the movie I, is British. Quick, quick option to have done. I don't yeah. know why. Every time I see... Patrick Wilson, though, my first mind goes to minute, uh, goes to Watchmen. Oh yeah, because that was the first time I remember seeing him, and I just I don't know why I just automatically, even though that I feel like I know him, you're, you're thinking him about you're thinking about that. Yeah, I just for some reason I always see Patrick Watt, uh, Patrick Wilson just as what was his character again in, in Watchmen? Do you remember? Oh my gosh. Um... Was I he, should. Was he a bird king hero? He's, it's an owl, yeah. He's an, an owl. owl. Okay. Um, but I cannot remember what the name. Oh, no, you're fine. Was. That was one of many tangents to come. I was <laughs> just thought I'll just throw that one in. Um. Yeah, Ed, Ed and Lorraine Warren. Though, okay, those two, in real life, interesting and and controversial characters. Um, if we want to touch on that. Yeah, let's do it. Let's just get out ahead of it. Let's dive into Ed and Lorraine. So I guess let me let me let me let me prompt this to you first. Um, you know, where do you land with Ed and Lorraine? Like, where 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 are you at on this whole thing? So I'm gonna come at this at a few angles. It may get into a little philosophy of religion, although that's, I think it's fitting since I was uh, the first class we met. Um, as you may know, in my own in my own personal belief system, I'm very uh, I'm, I'm agnostic. I don't really uh, take a hard stance on God or no God. Um, I'm pretty open to the whole thing. But though, while being agnostic, I am rather superstitious. And when it comes to believing in the existence of, of ghosts and demons, I actually am one who does believe in those things. Um, am I saying they're perhaps demons the way they're depicted and talked about in, in Christianity and Judaism and, and Islam? Perhaps not. It could always just how we interpret them. But I do think whether demons or bad spirits, I think there's there's existence of them. Um, because I think you know science can't explain everything. And I think there are some weird mysteries in the world. Um, and I think there's some instances such as the stories that are touched about the Conjuring series and perhaps some other horror films which are based on true stories, though obviously 
grand like grand eyes and everything to be entertaining. I still think some of those things have a foot in reality and are just hard to explain. But mm -hmm. Ed and Lorraine Warren um, are interesting because their involvement in incidences that many perceive as being legitimate hauntings or possessions and those seeming as potential hoaxes. Mm -hmm. um, and that line is always hard to tell, um, especially if one's already skeptical coming into that whole thing. Mm -hmm. So I don't have a hard opinion on whether I think they're con artists or whether I think they are legitimate mediums um, trying to help people uh, who are either being haunted or um, potentially possessed. It's, but I do know they have, they have a bit of a sketchy history. Um, so a part of me almost in being, I don't know, this is, this is cowardly, but I feel like for me, my opinion is going to be a little out on this one. Um, I'm not strong enough to say that I think they're con artists, but I do think that sometimes I think their case or their evidence for certain incidences isn't so strong. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know. I think sometimes what they what they encounter is very real. I think other times it's questionable. Right. So, right. Um, I'm not going to say they're con artists, but I'm not going to say they're exactly watertight proof of you know demons and ghosts or that they're hardcore media. Yeah. But I think I, I mean I'm willing to to say I think there's they've come across some some real some real shit in the world. So. Um, I'm not going to question some of those, some of those, but the reason why I mentioned that too is because this this movie about the is it Ein, Einfeld, Einfield haunting? Is yeah. that right? Einfield, yeah. England? Yeah. This one is very controversial. Um, because to this day, many people still believe it's a hoax because of things that came out um about the daughters. So, but yeah, so by Ellery Warren, I'm I'm, I'm not strong. Either way, I would say I'm pretty, I'm, I'm stuck on the gray area when it comes to them as people and as as far as their profession goes. Um, but yeah, I'll, so, I'll that's what I'll so, say. So let me, let me dive in on some of this a little bit here. <clears throat> you know, obviously the Seinfeld case is a pretty, uh, like you said, it's a controversial one. And I don't know if it was stylistic decision or just James Wan giving the giant, you know, middle finger to everybody or, or what. But the fact that not only do they choose the Einfeld case, which in and of itself is a controversial case, yeah. uh, but they start the fucking movie with, with the fucking Amityville case, <laughs> yes! which is not a ringing endorsement of any, no. anybody uh, that wants to believe in any of this stuff, and so. I think, but that's so, that's okay. Uh, let me know if I just get too much here with any interruption, job. I think that's part of the what I also like about this movie is that you are constantly questioning what is happening. So you, oh, you yeah. don't know. You're like, that's not like. Could that be real? Could that not be real? This movie plays with that idea as as one of its themes. No, it does. It does. I love that. It's done very well. Um, again, another reason I will continue to sing the praises of James Wan. Uh, the, <clears throat> the man understands how to do suspense um, in, in a way that is a sub, su, kind of a, 
a subtle suspense, one where you're not really looking for it. And then suddenly you notice you're like, man, you know, these things are starting to add up. Maybe this is a bunch of bullshit. Um, and, you know, things like that. But then you see that those things where you're like, but maybe not. I don't know. But before we go too deep down this, talking about the movie, I want to circle back real quick to make one point about Ed and Lorraine. That's going to want us. You're going to want to spark a conversation. I'm not going to let you. Um, this will go into the bin of things that Mr. Polina likes to remind me uh, I've thrown together a few times, which is you and I can have this conversation and make it bonus content, <laughs> but okay. it's not going to go in the episode. Fine. So myself. what I want to say about Ed and Lorraine Warren is this, there, there, there's a lot of question. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no doubt that some of the cases that they purport to have been involved in um, are ridiculous nonsense. Sure. Uh, there are other cases that uh, still a lot of questions up in the air. And so then there's the question of are Ed and Lorraine Warren con artists or are they truly good hearted individuals mm-hmm. uh, just trying to do God's calling for them? Mm-hmm. Um, and I would like to pose uh, this statement, which is that it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Uh, And the reason it really doesn't matter is because whether or not you believe in these people and whether or not it is all true or it is a bunch of parlor tricks, guess what? They did these things with people and helped those people feel better about their situation. And so at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Who cares? What realistic now there's a whole conversation because yes a lot of these things have like have like incidences within the family but within the confines of this i i don't feel like we can condemn these people regardless of if it's a con or not i don't think Um, i don't think anyone i don't think any of the viewers are wanting us to like decide on whether they're real or not i was and and so you have to at least mention it no you got to talk about it but that's that's my point that's my point is that look if you believe in this stuff and you believe in these folks 100 percent, go for it if you think it's all a bunch of bullshit 100 percent, go for it we're not here to talk about ed and lorraine warren in real life we're here to talk about the conjuring too we can talk about ed and lorraine warren in real life maybe in some other content or if you really care that much tweet at us and trust me you'll get a response so the conjuring to ed and lorraine warren though get themselves wrapped up into the Einfeld case, which is the Amityville of England, which is, again, not a ringing endorsement for this case. Um, overall, I gotta say, we've already hit on it. The movie does a great job of building up a lot of suspense and, and making you think through some things. That's one thing that this movie does that I think a lot of haunting movies didn't choose not to do is it kind of dips into the maybe it is being faked uh, realm of things, right? Um, Now, I would argue that it does that thematically for a lot of reasons, um, not the least of which is that you don't typically expect it, right? So so it does a really good job of just establishing itself and, and really continuing with what from a, a uh, an aura sense that the movie gives you right that that world it puts you in uh, 
he he built a very good one in the conjuring i would argue he built a much better world in the conjuring too um so i'd be curious of your thoughts on that did you feel more compelled by this movie um or or not i did um and the first conjuring is great um i even have like even my wife and a few friends to them that's their favorite conjuring. and i totally understand it's 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 got some really freaky moments. Um, but something about The Conjuring 2, I just really appreciate. Because one, there's, there's just a lot of really great camera angles and shots, which I think are just artistically well done. But also the fact that you question yourself while watching, which is what they're trying to do. They're trying, like, many of the people, the characters we're watching in this Conjuring are having you know they're questioning their own faith they're the question their own sanity they're getting paranoid and in a way as a viewer because of the way they shot the movie you are too you don't know whether you believe jan or not you don't know what the heck is real or not it, like at some there are points where you're like why is she doing this are they really being haunted are they not and in a way that's kind of what a lot of people during the time were also thinking of, 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 of the situation as well is is this real or is it a hoax um and there was also just a lot of relatable moments, I thought, um, and we'll, we'll can, we can dance a lot deeper later on, but like there's, I'll, just, I'll, I'll mention one as an example. One of my favorite scenes is when Janet's home alone and she's watching TV. And there's the subtle things of what then, as, if you're a kid and you're in your home alone, usually that's a, that's, a, that's a fun thing. You have to go to school, you get a hooky day. That's, that's fun. But right. because of the circumstances of this house, how empty and, and creepy it is, you could tell that Jana is, is uncomfortable in the situation, and you, the viewer, are as well as, as the scene progresses with all of its weird and uncomfortable moments, which I will probably get to later. Like, and I remember there were times where I was in a house that I wasn't very comfy in, and you know, hooky days is supposed to be fun. I too was in a position where it's like I feel like I'm being watched or I'm not or I'm not. I'm not alone, and it's not a great oh, feeling. Yeah. And so, almost like bringing back that feeling, I knew exactly what that little girl was going through, and I was like, "Ooh, I hate this." And <laughs> it's because, like, I feel like there aren't a lot of cheap scares in this movie. You know, the cheap jump scares. Uh, I mean, every horror movie has them, but I feel like right. the good ones don't rely on them. And this right. one did not rely on the jump scares. It actually created a sense of suspense. That you felt paranoid often throughout the movie. You questioned yourself. You didn't know what to look for, and it kept you on your toes. That was the thing that I loved so much about. That's why the Conjuring Two for me is my favorite Conjuring. Um, so, um, yeah, I hope that answers your question. No, it does, man. It does, and I agree. Right, like the movie has some uh, some scenes, even being set in, I don't know what is it, like the seventies, eighties that the movie's set in. Mm -hmm. um, like 77, isn't it? I think so, yeah. And so even being set in the 70s, with the way that it sets the the tone for everything, mm -hmm. um, and, and the way that they utilize the production value, like the their their production of it in terms of their camera angles and their effects and 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 the music selection and when they don't utilize the music and um just the way that they frame the scenes and really put you as the viewer there are times that the movie almost has a found footagey feel to it in terms of uh 
you really do feel like you're you're watching you're viewing this right like does that make sense like obviously because it's a movie so on and so forth but the way that the that that juan and his team frame and utilize their their equipment it it does feel almost more first person to at times right because of hitting on what you said with like you could feel that sense of dread that she felt when she was sitting alone in the house uncomfortable and it almost felt like you were kind of almost like in the beginning of the movie when um Lorraine has her vision cast and she's kind of like walking through the Amityville uh Lutz family murders like that's almost there are times that I feel like and maybe this is just me buying too much into it, but I really feel like the movie does a good job of setting you in that where like, you feel like you're watching this happen, but there's nothing you can do. You're just yeah. kind of watching it a part of it, a part of the scene. Uh, and again, I'll, I'll say it. I, I, that's, that's a credit to world building. They've done a great job of world building an atmosphere here. Yeah. And not just world building, but you know, cause since that was, Lauren was in a trance during that moment in Lindenville. She was invoking um, her, her medium senses and I loved the stop motion choice every time the gun was pulled um, you didn't see it happen in real time you saw the gun and, you, and then when it shot live dead just instant and right. for some reason I thought that was such a really fun choice not fun that might, might be the right word it was very artistic it was interesting um, yeah because it also created a sense of it, it, it was disjointed um, right not only is she disjointed right now from the real world and she's witnessing past events, but also in the fact that, you know, since Amityville is controversial and that points the story itself feels disjointed, um, I feel like there was like a, in a way, like an artistic choice to make the stop motion of that event happen. Yeah. Because it, it feels uncomfortable. It feels odd um, with right. the way it all happened. Um, it also feels very disturbing. Because while it's happening, you have over and over and over the whispers of kill them, kill them, shoot them. It's just so you get this sense of it's very it's otherworldly and it's uncomfortable. But then yeah. also I feel like it made it it also felt like a call to the fact that the whole incident also was uncomfortable and it seemed something wasn't quite right. Um, and that that feeling alone from just how they shot that scene, that sequence, I think was great because you can yeah. do a ton of amazing things if you just focus on the cinematography and the way you film a movie. And it's clear to me that James Wan uh, was very purposeful in a lot of these choices. So I love the opening because like we already mentioned, having Amityville be the opening to the Einfeld, the Ein can we, I see, I think there's an Einfeld, Einfield. What is I, it? I have no idea. Okay, it. So <laughs> England Amityville. To start with Amityville is a perfect um, comparison since it is referred to as Amityville of England. So to start with this one controversy then the next controversy because right. I don't know, that whole thing was I think it was the perfect opening. I can't imagine a better opening than, than what they did. Because um, it sets up the it sets up the movie and the tone and the theme all in the first like ten minutes. And, right. Yeah. I I don't know. I didn't love the opening. I love Amityville. Oh. I've investigated a lot of Amityville stories and things like that. Right. Um, I, I understand why. I totally understand why. But I didn't love it, and I think the reason I didn't love it is. 
I just, I, I don't know. I, I found, I found when they were doing the shoot, like the shooting stuff and the stop motion, and that was, that was a really good, like you said, tone setter in terms of keeping you like, oh, this just feels a little off. When they went with the little boy going down the stairs and like taking her down to the bit, all that was stupid and hokey and ridiculous. And the little boy is well documented, like unquestionably not a real incident that occurred at Amityville. And it's all, I was just immediate, like starting off with Amityville. And I want to be clear, I've seen this movie a number of times. Starting off with Amityville, just every time, immediately breaks the immersion and i think that yeah maybe that's an intentional thing is that it makes you question because it's well known i would say the popular zeitgeist of our culture acknowledges that amityville was probably not accurate um i would say overwhelmingly people would agree with that although not everyone and so maybe that's the point is that especially you know maybe it's a little bit of that foreshadowing for later in the movie when you do start questioning some of us the stuff fraudulent is it not but even then i think that if that was the intention it could have been done in a better way because later in the film it's not me questioning ed and lorraine it's me questioning this little girl and this family Mm -hmm. right whereas amityville makes me question ed and lorraine and so it starts to degrade their um just how much you can how much you can trust them as your protagonist right in terms of like what they've got going on too um and again this is probably just me projecting way too much into this but i was just i i don't love the choice i thought it was hokey especially watching it on a 4k tv i know I, i do this in a lot of episodes and i hate to do this but watching it in a 4K TV, and I know the movie's a couple years older at this point, but man, some of the CGI effects in that that early scene, um, boy, I, I feel like I've seen some scarier stuff on YouTube, you know. So yeah. I'm well, just saying. <laughs> I I can agree. Like I, and my least favorite part of that beginning scene also was the the ghost boy. But I think that was. I think you're supposed to start to feel weird with that because there's that famous photo of Amityville taken from the photographer that worked with Ed Lorraine Warren. I think his name was Gene Campbell. He's the one who took the photo of the ghost boy in Amityville that later on people, you know, highly questioned. So I think that was a purposeful choice. Like since this theme gets invoked many times throughout the movie, you kind of want to get your viewer, the audience, to also at times question the protagonist a little bit because the protagonists are questioning themselves <laughs> throughout the movie. I mean, maybe not both of them. But I know Lorraine for sure has a uh, a crisis of faith throughout the movie. Right. So, to me, I, I think it made sense to use the ghost boy. The ghost boy wasn't meant to be scary. I think it was meant to be hokey and kind of like really because even when you see the photo that Gene Campbell took. You're just like, really? Like that? No, that looks like just an actual boy whose eyes are glowing because of the flash of the camera. Like that doesn't look right. like anything supernatural. So right. um, I think that was on purpose. I think, you know, with the lead up, everything's like really compelling, really creepy. And then you kind of lose, you kind of lose the audience there with that choice. 
just like you lost the real people experiencing this event in real life and they were seeing each other. It's like, okay, come like that can't be real. And so, right. I don't know, it takes you on a ride uh, where you're questioning yourself and also questioning Anne Lorraine Warren because that's very much what happened in real life. You're kind of going through the same feelings, the same emotions. So, I don't know. I, I appreciate it. I can understand why you didn't. So no no hard feelings there. But I think yeah. that's, I think that's what the choice may have been for. You know, I guess I guess we'll never know for sure. So, like I said, I can talk until I'm blue in the face about about it. Again, I I it's not that I don't like that ruin that didn't ruin the movie for me. Yeah. So real um, least favorite moments. But exactly. Exactly. So, all right, well, what, what else do you want to dive into? I want to keep us moving here. What, you know, is there another scene or is there a specific theme or topic or what do you want to deep dive into or talk about here? So I kind of want to talk next about the idea of paranoia that's kind of brought up um, and the idea of being faked out multiple times in the movie, which I thought was well-placed. But before that, I really funny thing I just want to mention. I love how at times the humor in this movie was so subtle, but so yes. well appreciated. Oh, One yeah. of my favorite moments of humor <laughs> was when the kids first come home uh, and the mom dresses Janet about how she was caught with a cigarette at school. And she just looks at her like, you were caught smoking? And then immediately just goes and takes a drag of a cigarette like, well, this couldn't be more. <laughs> Right. Contradictory. You're trying to scold your daughter of smoking right. while, while you're, you're actively smoking. <laughs> well, I mean, that was like with the teacher. I couldn't help but kind of chuckle about yeah. that. Right? Like the teacher comes out, takes it, and then takes a big old fucking okay. drag. But well, let's be honest, we were all that teacher in that moment. Like we were, oh, we were in our position yes. and we came across kids that age doing that. But like, yeah, I'll take it a few hits. Like that's just kids Ooh. can be difficult. <laughs> No, I, you know, I definitely get it, especially in that era. Like, yeah, no, that's exactly what would happen. I was hoping they were going to um, use the British slang for cigarette and, and say fag, but. Uh, they did at one point. Did they? Yeah, it was, uh, it was, at, it was pretty much right after that scene. It was, um, oh man, the kids kind of walking back home or whatever that you know, oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah actually it's caught like a fag yeah 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 which if anything is true to the definition of a fag a cigarette is kind of like a bundle of sticks so that you smoke well there you go <laughs> i don't have a response to that <laughs> i don't think you're meant to that's okay we'll go on to the next thing um <laughs> hey it's not my fault that the bridge have Although to be fair, it's their language first, I suppose. So I guess their slang is more legitimate. Mm -hmm. They've got some no, yeah. right. No, right. So all right. What so was what were you gonna on, lead that lead on. that into though? Yeah. Oh no, that was one of my other tangents I just want to mention. What I want to talk about was the idea of how one uh, create a sense of like paranoia and self-doubt throughout the movie. So in the initial moments when Janet's starting to get um, or she starts to experience the hauntings, um, there's a lot of stuff that is that seems real and then times where you feel a little faked out. Right. So 
Um, I loved the zoom in on her when she was in bed. You hear a thud and you zoom out and she's on the floor next to the armchair. Already yeah. that was just like uncomfortable and like, ooh. Um, because in a way you are experiencing in that moment what Janet was experiencing, um, which was she was going to sleep and then now she wakes up in this chair with no recollection of the in-between. Um, right. And that was, and then whenever, I don't remember it was, I think the next night with her sister, um, when Janet's like talking to the ghost. And then- Oh time, yeah, what are you doing? I'm playing a game with Billy, right? Yeah, yeah. Like that was just weird. And I remember at one point when, uh, I think her name, her name was Margaret. Um, she looks at the corner and she faintly sees the face and is freaked out, but then she turns the lamp, which is one of the posters. I've experienced that a number of times where it's late at night, you you hear a bump in the night and you look over and you see, I used to have like an Einstein poster in my room. If it was really dark, that thing would freak me out. Yeah. And I, I, so I know the feeling of looking in the shadow and you see a face and lo and behold, it's either like a family picture or it's a poster. Um, and so that felt like a real genuine moment. And now in the first month of where you start to doubt, like, is this a ghost or is it not? There was also a point with uh, Billy where he's getting water and they pull out uh, and you see him in the window of the kitchen, you see another dark window. And I, I remember staring intensely at that window, waiting to see some kind of silhouette, some kind of ghost. Right. And it never happened. Right. And so there's several fake outs throughout the movie where you're expecting to see something. And in that, that shot felt purposeful because it seemed like the most obvious place. Right. And then as they're following him up the stairs in a, le in a more less obvious shot, you then see the ghost in the armchair, even though the camera is focused on Billy going back up. Exactly. Um, so there's times the camera where they try to like trick you. And so I remember because of that, it, it kept me like being paranoid and, and, and at times self-doubting myself of when I might expect to see something real throughout the entire movie. Um, yeah. And, and those first, those first like fake outs, those first um, initial, oh, not a ghost. Right. It's just, I think it's, it, those moments I thought was, those are really well done because you just don't expect it. No, I agree. And I think that, again, that goes back to, that's one playing off of your, um, your anticipations and your expectations for horror, right? But also, uh, I think what you hit on that I enjoy is that it's got these these minor little twists and these minor things kind of off on the side or in the in the background, right? Like you'll kind of see something or and sometimes that turns out to be you know the real deal and other times that you're sitting there looking for a clue that's not there. Um and I think that now this is pure juxtaposition on my part. But I really think that that's a lot of, none of that surprises me thinking about James Wan as a director. Uh, you would not know this, Russell, but anybody that's seen Saw, especially the first three that Wan was more uh, directly involved in, that movie was all about things being attention to detail. The, the, this thing over in the corner 
oh, you expect this to happen? Well, psych, this is happening. And, you know, eventually that became the downfall of the franchise, arguably, was it became so comical in its twist and pursuits mm-hmm. of new grotesque things. But again, you see the seeds of what James Wan would eventually do with a bigger budget, a bigger story, uh, a, a grander effects staging. Um I think even back in that very early work from him. So, you know, I completely agree, but I think that this is, you know, one of the reasons he's so good at it is because this is what he's been doing since he got into the industry. Right. Um, that framing <clears throat> with the, um, the little boy, I totally just blanked on his name, even though you just said it, Billy, yeah, Billy right. Um, for that entirety of that scene, because you're also expecting something to happen sooner with the way that he, he frames Billy walking to go get mm-hmm. the water. You're like, oh my God, like something's about to happen. And then just nothing, nothing, mm-hmm. nothing, nothing. And then you see, you see the framing with the windows and you're like, all right, it's going to be, nope, nothing. And then even then the big, the, like this, oh shit, scare moment. Isn't a jump scare. Mm-hmm. And arguably you could overlook it. Yeah. And that's the thing. Is that you can overlook it, especially if you were in, if you were Billy, who, you know, you don't think you're in a haunted house, you're going to get water because you're thirsty, you're not going to look over in the living room, you're just going to go back upstairs and he misses it, and you, the audience, if you're not paying attention, you could have missed it too, and that's kind of the point, because the reason why this movie is scary is because it's just, it's creepy, it's uncomfortable when you just notice those things at the corner of your eye. Because it's not obvious. So who knows how many times you may have missed a freaking ghost in your house because you weren't paying attention. Yeah. And so it's just, I love that. It, it's very, now this is going to be me diving into one of my little Hollywood connections here. Okay. Now I haven't seen any kind of interview or anything um, that I can directly reference back to. I'm fairly certain I, I read this somewhere, but maybe I'm making this up. But I, I think I've seen before that Juan talked about one of the directors that you know he'd, he'd he'd looked up to or something like that was um john carpenter john carpenter famous for the thing and famous mm-hmm. for halloween michael myers mm-hmm. um and one of the things about the early halloween series another series that kind of goes off the rails um but about the early halloween series that is so underappreciated is carpenter's use of the corners Michael Myers is in so much more of that film than people think, but it's because Carpenter chooses not to draw the attention to him. Myers is in the car in the background. Myers is in the up. There's one scene when um, uh, Laurie Strode and her friend are in their car talking to, I think the sheriff uh, and Myers is literally in the upper right hand or left hand corner in this car. You see his, his mask through the window and he's sitting there observing And then as they pull off, he turns and goes a different direction. And once you start to notice those things in that early Halloween movies, it starts to add a little bit more of an element of a creepy and unnerving factor. Because again, it hits on that, oh my God, if I miss this and something, in particular as a viewer, if I miss this and something that is directly in front of my face and I'm looking for spooky, scary to be happening, what did I miss in my real life when I'm not looking for it? Um, 
And in particular with the early Michael Myers, he was just a guy in a mask. So that was a really creepy thing with Halloween, right? Tying this back, though, to The Conjuring 2, Juan is doing a lot of the same thing. He's he's not leaning on the spectacle. You're not supposed to get the spectacle. You know, certainly this this movie has its moments of big grand spectacle. Don't get me wrong. Um, you're going to get all your tropes of a haunting movie, of a demonic possession movie. But there's a lot of little nuance that is laden throughout the film that you just have to go back and watch it again and again and again and again until you catch all of these little things. Very similar to uh, what was that Netflix show, that The Haunting on Hill House? Was that it? where that was something that a lot of people had to go back and you had to keep rewatching to get all the little Easter eggs and the ghosts and things like that. Wait, because I mentioned at some point before there was a series that said you were review about the series, like the first season of that. Wait, did you happen to watch it from the last time we talked or? I have not. I just, okay. I stay up to date on the popular zeitgeist. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, but no, I agree. That's one of the things that we also loved about that series because we watched it probably like three or four times now. And we keep finding new things, but we'll we'll save that discussion for another time. But no, I love I love things that do that because when you can go back, because uh, it also helps the uh, rewatchability of things if you can go back and and find new things at the time. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So, all right, man. What else do you want to dive into? We've talked a lot about the atmosphere. We've talked a lot about these things. We're coming up on a, about an hour of recording, I think, here. So, oh, wow. what else do you want to dive into here? Let me see. So I already alluded to this earlier, but I just love one of my favorite scenes, like hands down, is that TV scene. Um, okay. Just I love some of the things they do with that um, in terms of her noticing when the remote control is like slightly moving, and then at one point she sees him in the reflection of the TV mirror. Yep. Um, it's just so well done. And then one of the other favorite scenes of that movie is when she's actually trapped and she's stuck on the ceiling um which i feel like is i don't know if that's been done in other horror movies i don't know if that's, a, that's a typical trope like when you're trapped you're usually like is it typical to be stuck like hanging from the ceiling like that or uh, you know horror movies and sticking people to the ceilings is kind of a kind of a thing that happens okay. well i thought it was an interesting take on i guess a a, a usual trope um, because then her just being stuck, not being able to move, and watching him slowly go up the stairs, and then having her him pull her through the ceiling. Yeah. Um, that oh man, that moment where all the crosses could turn upside down, and when the last one turns it to down in the dark corner, he just pounces out like oof. Like that was that was a jump scare. But you kind of knew, but but you knew it was coming. Like they, right. they gave you plenty of preparation. It was still right. well done. Like it was, it, it was, was a really good still get you. Yeah, like it didn't feel cheap. Like right. it, they built it up in a reasonable manner, and you expected it, and they delivered, and you're like, ah, okay, that was because you watch you watch horror movies for the thrill of it, right. and you kind of have to have those moments. And I don't. So the TV scene and. Uh, and that scene where she's pulled through the ceiling, absolutely loved those moments. Um, no, great moments. Absolutely yeah. great moments. I got to hit on one thing, though, and, and I didn't even really think about it. Full credit uh, to Cinema Sins over there on YouTube. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. But they pointed something out that I just can't get past, and it's that very early on in the movie, it's established that the family is very, very poor. Mm-hmm. And a single mom struggling to get by, raising her like four kids. Yeah. Yep, they can afford a nice-ass TV with a clicker in the 70s. Get the fuck out of here. They're out there struggling, scraping to get by, eating the damn saltines. Mom's got a fucking gold mine sitting in the living room. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? Go sell that son of a bitch. Get yourself a couple of nice meals and maybe a new pair of shoes for the kiddos here. Like, what it's are we the doing? Sundays. There's nothing great on TV. Just let your kids breathe. Be as just entertained. You know, I'm just saying, it might have changed the situation a little bit if them kids was outside playing in the yard instead of sitting there watching TV all the time. Although, I will say this. For a single mother, I bet having a TV to distract her kids was probably very helpful at times. Oh, so we're going to let the TV raise the children now. Okay, that sounds like a great strategy. <laughs> gonna raise the, there was like, what, 10 channels or 20 channels they could, they could sort through? It's not going to hold their attention for too long. I mean, Belly had, had 10 upstairs for toys. They still did typical kid stuff. Like it's, I'm just saying. I feel, just I feel saying. like you should have, I feel like you're peg, you are, uh, <laughs> I almost said you're pegging on Peggy. Um, I think you're you're hitting Peggy too hard now on, on, on her uh, mothering the four kids. Perhaps, Look, I'm just saying. I watched that. I watched that, that washing machine. I watched that washing machine break, and they didn't do shit about it. They didn't do shit about that to the point that it flooded that basement. And they got a damn TV sitting upstairs. Uh, priorities you need to pick priorities especially okay especially That's if you're okay. trying to get so by and that 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 flooded. comes from it was comes inundated from, you think that selling a tv was gonna fix that amount of water damage no it probably would have been a good start it probably okay, would have been a good start to stop the leak. i had to pick between partially fixing a fucked up basement and having a tv I'll say, screw it. I'll keep the TV and eventually fix the basement. The basement's done for now. It was also it was also a falling apart house, anyways. How many incomplete walls did we see? Wow. I, I think that was one. That was a big problem, not a minor one, but that was one problem on top of a pile of problems this woman had. Get off her back. You know, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Some choices were made. They could have been made different. And to go back to your earlier question, no, I'm not a single mother, but I was raised by a single mother. Sure. Um, so, you know, I feel like I have a little bit of authority to speak here. I, I've seen bring your mom on the show and then I'll take the commentary. Look, all right. I'll bring my grandmother on the show because she's the one that raised me. So there you go. Uh, then, then you can a- you can you can battle it out with her. Let me know how that one goes. Okay, that's fine. If if they say they agree that she could have sold the TV, then but i can also understand the need to want to distract kids especially if you're trying to hold your own no i definitely get it i i'm mostly just like to play devil's advocate every now and then you know i totally get it i, I, I probably know. wouldn't have that tv around as well to do that with of course because it's so small and i knew it would be annoying as hell <laughs> I feel uh, like, Russell, you know by now that you and I will never be in a conversation where I don't take a couple shots at you, you know? I gotta, I gotta so, test I mean, your, I gotta test your so confidence and your sure. steel, you know? I understand that just fine, which is why I'll, I'll go to, to a Q&A day. It's fine. 
I'm used to it. I gotta, I gotta make sure you can hang on the show, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, um, I agree though. I, I think that there was that was just a really a good creepy scene. The scene that also gets me, and I don't know why, but is uh, when Billy plays uh, basically catch with the fire truck uh, and, the, and the crooked man in the tent. Like that has scarred me. I will never set up my children. If I ever have any, will never be allowed to have a TP in the house. Um, fuck that. Wait, wait. Well, the crooked man didn't happen until later when it was Ed going to the house. Oh, I guess it was just the old man then. I guess it was just the old man. But, like, he comes out of that tent. Yeah, it? so, no, uh, so with Ed, the crooked man, like, he comes out of the tent. But when Billy was tossing his, his truck in... It's the just man, the old man yelling. Yeah, well, well the old yeah. man just shouted. You don't see the old man. Right. He just shouted right. back and that terrified Billy, which would terrify anybody. Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. No, you're I right. Think, I, I blended those two scenes together. Yeah. I stand by it, though. Both of those scenes, very I mean, well done. Yeah, very well done. And if anything, they kind of uh, use that type of suspense later on in Annabelle creation when the girl with the like the, the ball gun, yep. same, same idea of like yep. the darkness, you don't know what's happening, but something's messing with this object. It's... Uh, it's, just, it's so good because it's always done with a child's toy. This oh, yeah. It's supposed to be innocent and fun. And it turns it instantly creepy and dangerous. It, the, it almost reminded me, and, and again, this is a whole a whole other conversation, but in some ways it almost reminded me of the Babadook, uh, which is maybe a testament to the Babadook that now every time I see this like kind of children's fairy tale kind of character that gets extrapolated into this um into this creature that that's the movie i think of but yeah with the crooked man in particular um i found myself uh, it also helps that both are set in england so uh, yeah, but i found on. myself calling back to the babadook that's not that's not the creature from the sinister movie is it no, the Babadook is from the movie The Babadook. Okay, yeah. You're I, thinking I of Bagul from yes, the Sinister. Yes, that's why. They both start with the B. What was his name? Bagul? Bagul. Dude, that movie. The Snatcher of Children. Yeah, that one, that one messes with me. We'll have, to, uh, we'll have to do an episode on that movie. There's a lot of fun facts about it. I'll throw one out right now. Um, no, no, save it for that episode. What are you doing? You're taking content away from a future episode. Oh my god! All right, fine. You, okay, if I can't talk to you at all about this movie in the days leading up to the episode, then you can't just whip out fun facts about the episode. That's that's kind of my thing. That's kind of my thing. Yeah, but, but if we're gonna do in the future. Then <laughs> use that fun fact. All right, fine, fine. I will say you want to do more future. horror movies, don't you? We'll do sinister, and we'll do sinister. I'll I'll throw my fact out there, my really fun fact go. out there oh. later. Uh, that is a tangled web that actually connects all the way back, really, into the conversation we're having now. So, uh, you're gonna get a little little through storyline going on with the horror movie, okay. uh, that also ties into. Uh, I'll tee up a little bit. We're, get, we're getting a little bit of horror mixing in with some comic booky stuff. It's going to be a good time. So anyway, back to The Conjuring 2. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, I think there was one scene I really enjoyed too that was um, 
it wasn't scary. In fact, it was quite the opposite. And I thought that again, just with the way that it was set up and done was a, a really just a true testament to the, 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 the ability for Juan to do world building and that create atmosphere. Um, I don't know what it was. Something spoke to that little soft spot in my heart that, uh, that scene when Ed sings uh, mm. Elvis with the family. And it's yeah. just such a nice like reprieve in this quiet moment um, that we would soon realize is kind of like being in the eye of a hurricane. Um, you know, it's a real nice quiet moment and then, oh shit. But you know, that's, I just loved that scene. It's stuck with me ever since I've seen the movie. Well, this, the other thing about that scene that, goes along for the rest of the movie well most of the rest of the movie i'll say is that it feels real like it feels like a real thing that would happen that you know this family going through you know even before this hunting i mean peggy describes like the really awful situation with her ex-husband yeah um and now they have this haunting happening which is uprooting their life at some point you need a sense of normalcy you know yeah you, you need a sense like you said of reprieve and that I mean, felt real it felt like a yeah. real thing someone do like it wasn't big he pulled out a guitar and played a song as right. simple as that and that's something that i think someone would be that it felt weird and oftentimes in horror movies things can happen where you're just like ah that's so canny like exactly or, like, uncanny or doesn't seem realistic that's exactly the word i was going to use to describe it was that scene felt very very genuine and just raw mm -hmm. because you're right you know it's that th it's a natural human reaction that in the midst of uh you know the midst of the biggest shit show that we're a part of we will inevitably find a moment to simply say time out i'm gonna step aside here mentally um, and, and whether that mental break comes from somebody who, who cares and is just trying to help uh, by playing a song or somebody who tells a joke uh, mm. at a time that most people would find maybe a little bit inappropriate. It's that natural human reaction of saying, I need, there has been so much shit piling up that I need a release. And my release is some form of entertainment, whether that is watching a movie, whether that is listening to a song, whether that is laughing at some stupid joke that's irrelevant or just laughing at the situation um and again that's something that i think that james wan and the conjuring 2 does very well that sets it apart from a lot of horror is that it it captures those very real human moments that happen uh, mm -hmm. because humanity is messy whether or not you're getting it haunted or not, humanity is messy. And when you're going through a lot of shit and somebody's trying to help you, that's also going to be a little bit messy. And that real human moment of genuine connection and just saying, we're going to unplug from the shit show that is our situation. And instead, we're just going to enjoy this genuineness, this, uh, this interconnectivity. Um, so yeah, I think that like I said, that that's one of the things that sets this film apart. For all of its flaws, don't get me wrong, it's got plenty of good old-fashioned horror movie Hollywood flaws for you. Yeah, I mean, but it 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 really tries to, I think, communicate with its audience in a way that is unique to yeah. James Wan in this this particular universe. Do you know what I found so cathartic in this movie? 
was that finally for once, when the family thought their house was haunted, they, they said, did. fuck it. <laughs> they yeah. left. Like everybody in one. their right mind would do. They ran across the street to their close neighbor and said, hey, we can't be in that house. Right. Like, which what? what a shitty draw for the family that they're they're the one family that the fucking spirit will move with. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, that's how possession works. Yeah, you know. Just possession, uh, like it was just a haunted house, and it turned out to be a possession. Which that itself is a freaky concept. The idea that a demon could manipulate a ghost. Like the idea of demons is already a frightening thought, but the idea that this demon legit just puppeted a ghost for this—I don't know—that seemed like a whole other. No, that's pretty. But I think, I think um, it's a great way to really set the stage for the power of your of your enemy here, right? Especially if you're going to look through this in a Judeo-Christian lens. which I don't know if James Wan himself would say that that's what he's doing, but obviously Ed and Lorraine did. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's just a testament to the power of the enemy, right? To, but more than that, when you ultimately get to defeat that evil, it's a testament to the power of God, right? So there really is, intentional or otherwise, this um, really strong message to Judeo-Christians of like, that goes into the the classic gospel idea of what a mighty god what a mighty god we serve right like this this demon that was puppeteering a a soul a lost soul uh and tormenting these people and had all this power and 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 especially as we would go on to find out more about valak uh the the demon nun um through the movie the nun you know we find out these things Sorry, finish your thought. I, and I was just going to say, so then it's got this this whole testament of like, look how powerful this thing is. And yet they were still through the power of God able to overcome that. That's all I was going to say was it, it sends a very clear, intentional or otherwise Judeo-Christian message right in that Yeah, moment. I mean, I think that message is clear. Faith wins out. Keep your faith. Always. Faith wins out. Um, because there was times that Lorraine genuinely had, I mean, it's talked about um, not so explicitly in the movie, um, but in discussions afterwards from yeah. cast members and director, the whole point was to create this idea of Lorraine questioning her faith, especially from her Amityville premonition. Right. Because um, also, if you're doing all these things, like, I think at some point any sane person would question their beliefs or their sanity if they were coming across this much evil, you know? That's, um, that's fair. Which actually brings up a fun fact. This isn't what I was leading into. I have a fun question after that I want to mention, but the original dark entity was actually supposed to be a horned demon. Um, later on, James Wan made the decision to make the dark entity this dark demonic nun as an actual physical embodiment of Lorraine's questioning of her faith. Um, and so every every scene you see that nun is a reshoot. That's kind of cool. I like yeah. that. And I think it's such a, I thought it was a great decision because later on that nun um, gets its own movie. And right. that, that's still discussion. But it's a creepy image. 
that nun is very frightening. And it oh, has yeah. several calls throughout the Conjuring or the Warren series. Um, at one point in Annabelle Creation, the nun with all the adopted kids, you know, when you're looking back at one of her photos, uh, some, the, I think the, the foster husband, the foster dad, points out, who's that? She's like, oh, I don't know who that is. And it's, and it's the, the, it's, it's the like, nun. Um, and so it's my, my train of thought's off. But that leads me to this question. Well, who do you think is potentially the stronger demon? Balak or the demon that possesses Annabelle? Ooh. Because um, Balak has technically been around longer from yeah, at least what we know. I, I think I would take... Now also Valak's playing uh, playing at an advantage here and that Valak is a pretty made up creature for the conjuring, whereas Annabelle sure. in some degree has a, a basis in reality. Well, in reality um they're not. Well I would say I would say okay, I would say Valak is the more malicious um demon. But Annabelle could potentially have um, be stronger. But I think, though, that if. <sighs> no, actually, I got to go with Valak, right? Like, Valak overtook a nunnery that has yeah, a lot of big them. stuff going on with it, as we right, would later find out. Them. Not only has a higher kill count, but they she walked into the house of her of, of she, Valak walks into the house of the oh, most God, powerful and just, being and and says, "Hey, I'm gonna totally wipe out your crew. Fuck yeah. those people." And, like, uh, so I gotta almost give it to Valak. Now, the reason I would give Annabelle some benefit of the doubt here is that, especially going off of the basis of real world. Uh, stories around Annabelle mm -hmm. like you know that demon is is still attached to that doll apparently which is a whole question about that um, but you know there's the stories of the people that when when they were still allowed to do the the museum tours would run up and like smack the glass and there's the story of the one guy that like runs up and he hits the glass and he challenges Annabelle uh, and then you know while him and his girlfriend are riding their motorcycle home he puts his head through a tree like there's some some conversation we had there um but i would have to go valid what, what about you in your opinion it's hard it really is hard because i would say as far as demonic entities go they both show a lot of dangerous potential that we've already seen um and once again like you like you mentioned valid is an entire hollywood creation um for the sake of the conjuring series whereas the Annabelle doll is a real thing you go see and right. has a lot of dark history connected to it. Yeah. So I think by default, my choice would be the demon and the Annabelle doll. Um, but I liked what you suggested, and I did that the demonic nun, Balak, is more malicious. Um, it was very impactful because it did just wipe out an entire nunnery. Um, and went under the radar for many years to come back to wreak more havoc. Um, yeah. And, but in the end, was sent back to hell. The demon in Annabelle is not back in hell. 
So I have to say, and like, you could also argue like, you know, Valak has been around for longer, perhaps, you know, that's something to say, but as far as the Conjuring universe goes, yeah, Valak, from what we understand, was sent back to hell, was defeated. I guess, I guess my challenge to this, though, would be within the Conjuring universe, right? Like, we don't actually know the demon Annabelle's name. That's the only but reason that Valak that's gets how you vanquished. Have power right? over a demon is knowing the demon's name. Right. We don't know the name of the of the demon of Annabelle. We only yeah, know but you don't you don't got to be a strong demon to know the name to to not learn its name, right? Like, like I could not learn the name of the lowest tier demon in hell, but true, that doesn't true. mean he's a super badass demon. It just means I just haven't figured yes. out his name yet. I I yes, you have you you're within. I mean, even definitely within, like, I'd say just even the beliefs of Christianity and Catholicism, you're right, because you could have lower-tier demons, which are not as powerful, so we don't know what the tiers of Balak versus the demon of Annabelle, versus Annabelle are, but we don't have power over the Annabelle doll. The best we have is to put it in a box that it gets blessed a lot. It. Yeah, that's the best we have over it. Whereas in the in the Conjuring universe, Lorraine learned the name of the demon and cast it out. Like so, so at least as far as these demons go, one right. was able to be cast out. One is even from the story you told, something that actually did happen potentially still has power to affect lives of those around it. So no, that's fair. I, 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 here's what I'm gonna say. I need you to put a pin in this conversation. Because I have an argument that I think will 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 win win you over, but if in it order doesn't can we not put a pin in it? Uh, no, <laughs> but here's the deal. Here's okay. the deal. Here's why we can't though. I think it's gonna win you over, but in order to make the argument that I need to, I have to talk pretty in depth about the movie The Nun. So we're gonna put a pin in this conversation until uh, we can do the movie The Nun, and then I'm gonna tell you all the reasons that Valak is it she's she's a main bitch for a reason you know i mean i'm not skeptical of that side like here's my thing i'm not saying there's like a large gap between these two as far as demons go i feel like they're both quite powerful and i'm just trying to be i, I can't believe what this is i'm trying to be practical in terms of a <laughs> movie universe i'm just saying one's gone one isn't and that's kind of like for me, the end of the day. You could, if we want to go about, but how do we know one's potential, gone? Then sure. How how do we know one of them's gone? Because again, and we can't really dive into it too much. We knew Valak was gone at the end of the Nun too. We thought she was. Wait, okay. Wasn't there actually? I'm trying to remember. Wasn't there There's a lot a post credit scene? I thought there was a post credit scene that allured to Valak's yeah. possession of. Yeah. So I mean, even I could remember, I could be misremembering. Well, we'll we'll have to look. We'll this is all okay. too interconnected into the. Viewers, dots, we'll, so we'll, we'll just have we'll, to dive we'll, into we'll, it. We'll, 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 we'll do an episode this of discussion. 
later. So okay, I think we plan to do more more movies in the Conjuring series, but this might be a reoccurring discussion of who's this, more powerful. This will be this will be a conversation. All right, that's a fascinating conversation. It's no, I think it is. I think it is. I I have to push us forward though. That, no, I understand. I understand. And I, I have to push us forward to, to towards the wrap up. So. Oh, already. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're over an hour. Um, so yeah. So, any final thoughts, and then what's your rating? Man, that's an awkward silence. Well, okay. I had some other things I wanted to say about the movie, which is why I'm trying to think of how to sum this all up. I was like, Um, yeah. So, figure out how you want to sum all these ideas up. Yeah. Um, I do just want to can I just make one last fun fact mention. Make it quick. Okay. Um, <laughs> so fun fact in the movie, the name Valak is actually showed five times. In yep. The house. Um, so for viewers who have seen the movie, if you want to go back and watch it, um, it's all they're all mentioned in the house, um, not the Einfeld house or Einfeld house, the the Warren's house. Uh, so the first time you see it is during the scene in which Lorraine first sees the painting Ed is making of the nun, and it's um, on the table. Um, I forget where exactly, but it's on the table um, after she sees Ed's painting. Uh, the second time is actually in a collection of colorful bangles hanging from the window, which form the name Valak. Uh, third time is right behind Lorraine, this one's very tricky. Um, it's the V from the word love pops out, and then the rest of the name is written in wooden letters. Uh, fourth time is actually when her daughter, in that scene with her daughter, with the bracelets, uh, all three bracelets have the name spelled out. And then the last time you see it is when she falls asleep while her daughter's playing. If you look at the bookcase, uh, Valak is spelled out in uh, these like large ornaments, um, which is also another reason why I think Valak isn't more powerful than Annabelle, because what demon just has its name thrown about a house like that? And also, I think, technically, I think Valak very... told Lorraine her name or its name, which is a dumb move. No, I think that Valak did it to double down on. We're going to go back to the conversation and I got to make it quick here. Valak is a more, I'm not saying intelligent, but a much more, like I said, malicious and confident yeah. demon and, and, and just earned its reason to be earned its reasons to be confident um, with some of the things that's pulled off. Mm-hmm. Right. And so wouldn't like, that's quite a gamble, but I totally understand. And, and maybe, maybe this wasn't Juan's intention. Maybe I'm giving too much credit here, but I would understand, right? If you have some, if you're a demon and you have somebody that is in the throes of questioning their faith, and this is not just anybody, but somebody that is uh, within the context of this universe, essentially ordained by God Mm -hmm. to communicate with this other realm. And you're a demon. And that's probably a person that's pretty high up on the list of somebody you'd love to drag on down with you. So if you've got an opportunity where they're questioning their faith and what's the one thing they know from their faith is that you control demons through the name. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to bet it all on black, baby. Let's see if I can so confidently 
go, look, your faith is so much bullshit that I'm even going to tell you my own name. Not once, but five times. Five times. Now, does it work out? Absolutely not. They lose. Wait, they is lose five the bet. on purpose? You think for like a pentagram? You think five is was on purpose? Look, I'm just saying numbers have, especially if you're going to talk about things in terms of a theological or religious point of view. Numbers are very important. That's all. I I'm mean, saying. yes. So I wonder if it would. I wonder if that was on purpose, because we're about to continually have an influence on Lorraine in her home. Maybe her name had to be secretly woven in it's a constant reminder at that point i'm honestly that that's entirely skeptical uh or that that, that's that's entire um well word it it, it's it's entirely possible though as well that it's a con just sits there to serve as a constant reminder to lorraine right because when she first sees the painting she like freaks out and shies away from it right and so almost in a Freddy Krueger style, if you can continue to amplify that constant reminder of this thing hovering over you and lingering over you, which we know throughout the movie is Lorraine's fear of her vision coming true. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to keep So maybe it's double-edged sword. Out. Maybe, you know, it increases her power, but it's also a risk. No, that's what I was. That's literally the argument no, I just made about betting on black. Gambling. That's not, okay. Exactly. It's a gamble. It's the gamble of hey, I have an opportunity to really instill myself as this demonic okay, figure. I think I see where going. Versus, okay, but if if they way. call my bluff, then oh fuck, I've just given them the key to my controlling yeah. me. Because she did and that almost is what happened. Exactly. We got close. But I'm okay. glad you finally came around. Okay, I see your just point. Just like the old college days, point. if you would just listen to me, you'd find that I'm right. No, I'm totally kidding. But finish up your final thoughts and then give me your rating. Let's go. Hey, right. well, I thought we were having a great conversation, John. Now you're we're rushing to a, the end here. We're All having right. a very good conversation. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um so god i just is so much to think of that i don't know i don't know if we actually touched on but it's fine um because like i'm gonna do this again you're gonna hate me um i i can't like i gotta stop you you gotta give me your final thoughts and then your your review and we'll, so we'll do some bonus content thought, you have my, my word Russell. thoughts are this um in rating this movie, I considered four things. Uh, the idea of the characters, are they well-developed? They have a good story. Um, how about the plot? Is it, is it convincing? Does it, is this, does the story move along in a, you know, a real, in, in a believable manner in which you feel compelled? Um, also, uh, what is the rewatchability of this movie? Can I watch it many times and still get a, a worthwhile experience? And lastly, since uh, it's a horror movie, I considered how scary did I find this movie? Um, and then at the end, I'll give my overall rating, uh, which will be a collection of those four grades divided by four. Um, it's very, I'm very methodic about this. So as far as characters go, I give it a seven. Um, I thought the characters, like I thought their decisions made sense the majority of the time there were of course moments where it felt a little silly but most of the time i felt like i could relate to the the 
primary and even at times secondary characters and the dialogue felt real. Um, it didn't feel that cheesy or, or made up. Um, the decision-making felt like it made sense. And I don't know, I, even though you kind of question Ed and Lorraine's legitimacy, you still cheer them on throughout the movie, which for a, a viewer who's questioning the protagonist, the fact that you still stick with the protagonist, I think is, is hard to do. Um, I think Marvel does it great at times. And I think James Wan in this movie did a great job at you questioning the, the Warrens while still cheering them on. So I give overall the characters a seven. Um, there were there were some, air, I think, mistakes and some gaps um, in some decisions, but yeah. As to the plot, I give it an eight. I love the plot because as we discussed many, many, many times, you question what's happening. You get paranoid, you have self-doubt, um, and some of the things in this movie are actually callbacks to real things that happened or that were discussed while this haunting, quote unquote, was happening. And so the base, a good chunk, because I mean, some of it is, like I said, it's, it's, it's cinema, it's film. So some, some things are gonna be grandiose, things will be over the top, but it has foot in the real events. And all the while, the, the, you feel invested in what's happening they move it along in a way that um, I thought was cohesive. It made sense. I love the story enough to watch it again. Um, so I give it an eight for that. Now, this next one might seem different considering all the high praises I just gave with the character in the plot, but for the rewatchability, I gave it a five. Only because, um, and I think this is just hard. It's very hard for a lot of uh, movies in this genre because once you see a movie, you know what you you know what scares to expect. So you don't get this same experience. It's still a great movie, and I still really enjoyed it watching it this the second time. But you do you don't get that same thrill. You don't get that same rush or that same scare. And that's I think inherent, and in, it's it's a struggle for for horror movies. Um, you're not going to get scared the first time. You'll still enjoy it. I still enjoy it, which is why I'm giving it a solid five. I'm giving it just right in the middle because I still enjoyed it, but yeah, I'm not going to get scared when I keep watching it. Um, as for the scares, I gave it an eight because I even remembered the first time I watched this movie, It they don't rely on the cheap jump scares. And I love that. Like any movie that just hound you with the cheap jump scares. It's just like, come on, be creative in how you're gonna frighten me. James Wan, the production crew, the camera crew, uh, crew, crew. <laughs> they were creative. <clears throat> the camera crew. Um, they were creative, they did a great job. I, they had some really well shot camera angles, which, I thought helped the storyline, but also did a good job in creating suspense, in creating fright. Um, they were also subtle at times with how they made you paranoid or how they made you self-doubt what was happening. And because of that, that's why I feel like the scale level of this movie is eight. Because it's it's I just think James Wan, like I don't follow him like like John does, but 
I appreciate his style. It's well done. It's a great movie. It's shot so beautifully. And there's times where they use the, the out of focus, where you don't notice things and things can change in the shadows. Like it's just what they do with the cameras and with the lighting is just, it's clever. And you have to appreciate it and it can be really scary. So with all those numbers, uh, numbers put together, um, I come out with an overall seven bottles of rum for this movie. It's solid, it'll scare you. Um, it's got beautiful uh, cinematography going on from the director, James Wan, and the production crew. It's just, it's just, it's a great movie. I, I enjoy it watching it again a second time. Um, and I'd highly recommend if you haven't watched The Conjuring 2, go watch it. Um, there's some other really strong movies in the Conjuring series that I'd also recommend. But as far as Conjuring 2 goes, it's a solid seven. It's a solid seven. What about you? No, I can respect a lot of what you said. Um, <clears throat> yeah, for me, I love James Wan. I followed this guy's career. Um, saw um, the original. Saw uh, the short film that they made. I've seen it. It's glorious. Um, you know, I, so I, I love this guy. I really think James Wan will go down um, as a great one of the great horror directors, uh, particularly of his of his era. Um, I think in a very Wes Craven style, James Wan through the Conjuring universe uh, rejuvenated and reinvented in a way um, a subgenre of horror. Craven did it with Scream and the slasher film. Uh, I think Wan has done it with Conjuring and the Possession and Haunting film. I think those movies had really started to run their course. Uh, and then The Conjuring happened. And I remember people talking, like people that didn't even like horror were, were finding themselves pulled to that movie. Uh, the Conjuring 2, I think, takes everything you love about the first movie uh, and elevates it. And it, it is a continued uh, flourishing of Juan's style and his filmography in terms of the way that he produces a, a film, whether it's the framing, uh, the, the audio, um, the placement, just everything, the staging, right? Like uh, he, he does a very good job in particular with his genre. Um, he's, he is branching out. So I think, you know, he does good work elsewhere as well. Um, but The Conjuring 2, it's got a lot of good scares in it. It's going to get you where you want to be if you want a good scary movie. It is actually my preferred of The Conjuring universe as well. I would say it's probably my number one. Um, I think it's just so effectively done. I will say the one thing that I got to knock it for is uh, even with its relatively speaking, you know, recent being made, um, it's... Uh, was clearly not made for like 4k because some of the some of the effects some of the scenes some of the staging uh was revealed right with having a high that high of a resolution um which is not something you can necessarily fault it for kind of like going back and watching an old uh an old monster movie and then being upset with the way that uh those effects look right so good movie overall though i'm gonna have to give it a doubt uh i'm gonna give it an eight out of ten wow, an eight okay. out of ten i think that um it is one of my top horror movies to go to 
Um, and it is actually one of the only kind of uh, well, little cinematic universes that's going on um, within the possession subgenre mm-hmm. that I actually enjoy. So. Yeah, so, you know, that's that's roughly about that. So with that, hey, Russell, we're going to do a bonus content. I, I promise you we're going to do – we're going to talk more about this. We'll talk about everything you want to. I know you we to. got a ton um, to talk about. We'll, we'll put it on the schedule. Uh, I, I hope you come back on the show. I hope you had a good time. And uh, I, I foresee future episodes. No, no need to worry. Perfect, perfect. So, Russell, well, thank you so much. Uh, you gave it a seven. I gave it an eight. Sounds like we're both saying the same thing. It's going to get you where you need to go. Just like a good bottle of rum would. Right. So settle in cozy up. Uh, it's summer. You don't want to be outside. You don't want to be outside cozy up inside. If you got like a nice basement, get it good and cool. Snuggle up with your dog or your significant other. Turn all the lights out, put this movie on, but a bing, but a boom. That's the thing, guys. If you have a significant other, whether it's a, a girlfriend, fiance, uh, uh, wife, husband, um, just sorry, girlfriend, boyfriend, wife, husband, whatever your significant other is, like this, like that's the great thing about horror. Like, it's a perfect like watch it with someone you love. It's a um, couple's thing. It's it's a it's a, like people always think rom coms are what you like. Yeah, watch that with your significant other, but like horrors are great to watch with your snow and others because I uh, get the comfort one of because whenever I'm scared my wife's comforting me during these movies and it's fun it's intimate you get the thrill just if you're not into horror I was into horror give it a shot you never know you might like it um I've learned that I love horror movies about ghosts and demons I'm not into slashers uh which I know John loves slashers like Scream and and Halloween and all of them which they're great movies but everyone i think has their own tastes i promise you there is at least some type of subgenre in horror that you love for me it's ghosts demons and sci-fi like aliens oof that would be good when you do too one day so just give it a shot don't 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 rid yourself of the 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 pleasure and the thrill of, of watching horror movies because you will thank yourself later they're great movies, and sometimes they're absolutely hilariously absurd. So just give them a shot. That's a hell of a testimonial right there, folks. Yeah. I, I got, you know, I don't think I can top that. So if horror is not your genre and you want to give it a shot, though, may I recommend uh, The Leprechaun Back to the Hood. So oh anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> with that, we're going to sign off. Thanks so much, everybody, and we will see you next time on Rumped Up Reviews.